we usually start off our service with a testimony. So I would like to call up my brother Augustine to come up and share uh, something that the Lord has been doing in his life lately. So please, yes, everyone, give a warm welcome to Augustine as he comes to share. God is good. God is good. Uh, recently this past week, I just, I've been uh, just letting my bosses know about how I might be switching a job to, to a better job with a better finances. And it just hit me this week that, you know, I've been trying to find another job for the past year and a half. And it wasn't because I was struggling financially. I just wanted to be more comfortable. So it was, but as I was going through interviews and taking these extra classes, these extra courses, and just to have a better chance to be better picked, I, wa I was wondering why I wasn't getting this job, why I wasn't, you know, moving up, why, why am I still here? It's, I've been here for four years, you know, so it just hit me this week that over the past year and a half, so much seed has been sown where I worked. There's so much seed. My supervisor, my coworkers, uh, over 600 people in the building know who I'm all about. They see me praying to the poor. Uh, the restaurant that's right next to me, they know who I'm all about. I laid so much seed over there. And they just realized that God was not done with me in that place. Though I did not struggle financially. You know, I had enough. There was some up and downs, but I always had enough to meet my need. And it was just on my part that I needed to be patient. And now that so much seed has been sown, I could finally feel confident that I'll be able to find a better job this year. So I just wanted to read this, ver these verses that just testify what I was going through. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Even through the cold, Lord, you made it possible. You made our path straight to get here, Lord, to worship you, Lord, to give you the praise that you deserve, Lord. And I just lift this day up to you, Lord. I let your will be done, Lord. Let your presence be tangible, Lord. And let us give us the worship that you deserve, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come put those hands together. Let's warm up this morning as we worship Jesus. Hallelujah.
Isn't that why we're here today? Isn't that why you've come through the cold 
in the snow is to get near Jesus. So let's do that right now. As our hands are lifted, as our eyes are closed, as we're focusing on the King of Kings, can you say, Jesus, draw me close to you. Come on, say, Jesus, draw me close to you. Man, God, I've been far for a while, Lord, but draw me close to you right now. Come on, if that's you, or if you just talk to him this morning, just say, Jesus, draw me closer still, closer still to your side. God, we don't have enough of you, God. We haven't even brushed, God, the tip, oh, Lord. We want more, more. The Bible says to go from glory to glory. And, God, we want to go from glory to glory, Jesus, with you. Hallelujah. Fill this place, Holy Ghost, with your presence. Fill this place with such a freedom. Fill this place with such a joy that comes only in your presence. Let every chain fall. Let every wall fall down, oh God. In the face of you, God, shine your light in this place. Let the sun shine in this room as we lift up the mighty name of Jesus. Let every weight fall in the name of Jesus. Come on, you came to the right place, and that place is the foot of Jesus. Can you just lift your voice right now and say, draw me near to you, Jesus. Draw me near to you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we feel your presence right now, Lord. We feel your spirit, Lord. Oh, God, we just want to be near. We want to experience a new side of you, a new part of you today. Oh, we love you, God. We love you. We want you to know that, Jesus, there's nobody like you. Can you just tell Jesus right now just how you feel? Come on, tell him that he's worthy. Tell him that you love him today.
just your voice to him today. Can you say that one more time? Say, Holy Spirit, you are one. Come on in the church, says, come flood, come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long to be overcome by your breath. Just one more time, your voice.
I trust you, Jesus. And if I'm not trusting you, God, then what am I trusting in today? We know that everything can be stripped away in a moment. In a flash, we can lose it all. God, but everything can be stripped away as long as we walk with you, as long as we have your grace covering us. Because nothing plus Jesus equals everything. God, and you can take it all. Just give me Jesus. Give me more of you. God, give more of yourself in this place. I pray for those today who are uncertain that today they would walk out and they would be certain that you are the God that loves them and that you are the God that saves and you are the God that redeems and you are the God that heals and you are the God that provides. You are the God who loves and gives and gives abundantly and you never stop. You never stop. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are the God of the Old Testament. You are the God of the New Testament. You are the God that loves and serves. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But you give it anyway. And we stand in awe of you, God. And we kneel in your awesome wonder. So I pray that you would just bless this place. Bless these people, God. Let us all hunger and thirst for you this year. For every day that we would feel a thirst that is unquenchable except by the Holy Spirit. And that that thirst would drive us into your presence, into our prayer closets where you are waiting for us but that we know we can walk every moment of every day and know that you are there because you are omnipresent, God. I thank you, Lord, for this time, and it is a precious time, and we don't take it lightly. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for just being in our midst today. And I just prayed all of this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this place. Hallelujah. I'm feeling Jesus today. I feel Jesus every day. And uh, I want to take this moment to preach the gospel to you because it would be a tragedy for you to leave this church and not know how to be saved. And in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is a payment. There is a wage. The wage of sin is death. Sin costs us something. And the sad truth is, is it usually costs us everything. And we think that we're free and we're really in bondage and we're in slavery to the things of this world. And if we walk out of here and we don't know that Jesus Christ is our Lord or have accepted him, then our punishment is death. I mean, we're all going to die someday, but we have an eternal spirit. And your eternal spirit is what Jesus died for. 
but the gift. See, when we were praying before about, about God as the giver, he is the servant. The gift of God is eternal life with Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's not just, he's not just my Lord, but he's our Lord. So if you guys, if any of you don't know who he is, or you are just waiting to take that step, today is the day of salvation. And we're going to have a couple prayer workers up here during our fellowship time. And if you need to learn how to, how to accept him or just to learn how to pray, these altar workers will pray with you. And so I'm going to pray for all of us. If you guys would just bow your heads and shut your eyes. Father God, I just thank you so much for your gift of salvation, for eternal life that I get to spend with you that we get to spend with you. But Lord, I just pray that each person here would take it to heart that the wage of sin is death. And if there is sin in their lives, I pray today that they would repent before you, surrender it all to you, and receive that gift of eternal life in Jesus. And everybody says, amen. All right, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We are going to recite our confession of faith. This is our Christian worldview, and you guys are going to read it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. Greet your neighbor. Meet somebody new.
Woohoo! I love the fellowship. Are you guys feeling the love today? It's so perfect because today's sermon is loving people. Look to your neighbor and say, I love you in the Lord. Look to your other neighbor and give them a high five. Say, I'm so glad you're here. And now give yourselves a round of applause. Come on, clap it up. You, you braved the cold. Woo! I was telling in the first service that after the past two winters that we've had, this is nothing, nothing. So this is a piece of cake for us. Nothing's going to stop us from going to church, right? We want to welcome you guys all to Metro Praise International. If this is your first time here, welcome, welcome. Keep on coming back. And we just want to encourage you guys, keep inviting your friends. It's all about inviting your friends, your neighbors, strangers on the street, co-workers, your waitresses, waiters. Invite people. Bring your friends and those around you. Our services here at MPI are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. That is our family service. We have King's Kids for the Children, infant to 11 years old, where they get to go to the back and learn about Jesus every week. And then we have Elevate. Fridays at 7 p.m., that's our Elevate Youth Service, 11 to 18 years old. That's for our teenagers where they gather together to worship God, go hard after Jesus, and just when they're high school, they're friends for the Lord. How many of you guys excited about our youth just going after God? We are so proud of them. Pastor Ellie Leilani, you're doing an awesome job. We have a vision, a strategy, and a goal here at MPI. Our vision is loving God and loving people, two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And this whole month, we're going through the sermon series called Chosen, and we're going through what the vision of the church is, our strategy, our goal. So we want to take the beginning of the year and just really teach that to you through the scriptures. So we take that very serious, what God has called us to do as a church. And then our strategy is to connect you to our life groups, mentor you through our 101 and 201 books, and then to send you out to go evangelizing, to win more people. And then our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago, with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. If you want to be a part of that, say amen. All right, look to your neighbors, say it's time to get connected. This is how we want you to connect. It's through our life groups. I'm going to read to you the snapshot of what's happening this week. If you want the full schedule, turn your handout around, and you'll see the whole schedule for this quarter. It's a new quarter for the year, January, February, March. Look at all the different types of life groups, the times and dates that they're meeting. So kicking it off today is our marriage life group. Come on, let me get an amen from all of our married folks. Child care is provided. We're meeting today here at the church at 5 p.m. Tuesday, the Resistance Elevate Life Group. Come on, make some noise, Resistance, if you're here. 11 to 18 years old, they meet at 6 p.m. here at the church. Wednesdays, Righteously Redeemed, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. thought I saw a 5, that's 6 p.m. at that address. And then every Wednesday, it's our King's Kids Life Group, infant to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church every week where we disciple our young ones. They love it here. We have awesome children's workers. If you have children in that age group, you want to bring them here every week on Wednesdays. Then Thursday, we have our gang outreach life group that goes out 18 years and up, 7 p.m., just winning people to Jesus. God is going to transform our city one person at a time. It's through you. It's through me going out and sharing the love of God and snatching souls from the fire. That's what the Bible tells us to do, to go out and snatch souls from the fire. And then every Friday, we have two adult Bible studies. One is at the Govea's house, the other one at the Vivid's house, our very own Pastor Jerry and Tony in the second service. 18 years and up, 7 p.m., you have got to be there if you're an adult. Drop off your kids here at youth group. 
go to their house. We're doing this whole uh, quarter of the Truth Project. If you want to know more about what that is, talk to them. You've got to be there. Bring your friends from work, your family, your neighbors that have those deep theological questions. It will rock their world. So be at those life groups on Friday nights. Look to your neighbors. Say, I'm going to wait to look for you there. Say, I'm going to be looking for you. Look to your other neighbors. Say, I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to come to your house and knock on your door and bring you with me, okay? So they're going to be looking out for you. They're going to be taking down your name. If you promise to go, they will call you and hound you down if you're not there. Let's move and ride along. Mentor, 101 and 201 books. Our 101 book is Welcome to Your New Life. Leaders are ready to walk this walk with you, this journey of you learning how to live for the Lord with you to encourage you, to pray with you, to answer your questions. And then 201, Disciples That Make Disciples. We have a Sunday morning class with Pastor Jared, Thursday evening class with Pastor Ellie. This is where we train you to be a leader in the church, to be all that God has called you to be. That's where we want all of you to eventually go than to one day be appointed as a deacon and an elder in the church so we could continue to grow because that's the only way we're going to get 100,000, right? So everybody's got to be a leader eventually. So we want you guys to be trained and equipped and ready to win Chicago for Jesus and all the nations for Jesus. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism every Saturday from 5 to 8 p.m. on the streets, preaching the gospel, being ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. That's our training ground. Join them if you have not done so already. Don't be scared. Be encouraged because you will learn so much. So in summary, vision, strategy, goal. Vision, loving God, loving people. Strategy, connect, mentor, send. And goal, 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. Let me get a hallelujah. Ooh, God is good. We're going to learn about tithes today. Uh, section one of the Disciples Giving book is all about tithes. Here at MPI, we believe that a tithe is 10% of our total income. And we want to give that regularly and faithfully to the church. And then we give offerings. We believe that God has given us the command to give offerings. And we designate that towards missions and towards the building fund that we're in currently for the new year for uh, new band equipment. So we thank you for partnering with us here at MPI to do what God has called us to do as a church body. It's not just one person individually. It's everybody coming together, walking faithfully with God and giving our finances to it as a commitment to the Lord and backing up what God wants to do through the church. So let's get into the lesson. Section one is all about tithes for the next, I think, 12 weeks, 11 weeks. Today is lesson three. The tithe was established in the law of Moses. The tithe is 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. Somebody say faithfully. We're going to be reading in Leviticus 27, 30 through 34. You can follow along in the screen. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. No one may pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If anyone does, does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. These are the commands the Lord gave Moses at Mount Sinai for the Israelites. Here are the two main points. Number one. The tithe represents our best. Say our best. The people of Israel received strict instructions regarding tithing. They were to give God their best both in agriculture and livestock. God does not want our leftovers. We learned in week one about Cain and Abel. Cain's offering was rejected because it was the leftovers of his crop. 
Abel's was accepted because it was the very best from his flock. And when we look at our bank account, when we give God our leftover pennies, that's not honoring him. That's not being obedient to his command to give him the best, to give him our first fruit. And so we need to honor God and give him the best, the first lump sum from our paycheck right at the top. That's number one, tithes and offerings. Jesus, you're number one in my life. This goes to you first. Everything that's left over is going to go to take care of my family. Amen? Number two, the tithe was commanded in the law of Moses. The instructions that Moses was given were God's commands, not just his suggestions. And so we need to take them seriously today in our life in this generation because God is going to prosper us when we follow it and do it his way. And here's the summary. Just as God commanded the Israelites to give a tenth of their best livestock and vegetation in the old covenant, we in the new covenant should give God 10% of our best income. How many of you guys are with me on that? I know I could call on so many of you guys to testify about God's faithfulness and provision in your life because of you being faithful to the tithe. And I know that you guys would bless so many people. Maybe one day we'll start doing that. I'll call, start calling people down, sharing your stories about, God, about how God has come through. Number one, here's the application. Understand that tithing is not just a suggestion, but it is a command from God. And number two, don't pick and choose when and how you give to God. Always give God your best 10%. Let's confess this together on the count of three if you want to do that. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel. Revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and a curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tide advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. If you are thankful for that, please stand up to your feet as we prepare to give God our best, our tithes, and our offerings. Again, a tithe is 10% of our total income, missions offering, building offering. And I just want to remind you, when you guys put the amount on the envelope, make sure it's allocated to the, the proper place, whether it's the tithe, the missions, the building, just so that it could be very clear under your name where it's going to go. Here are four ways that you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes right there in the back. Number three, in the back with uh, a debit card or a credit card with Pastor Jerry. And four, online with Chase QuickPay, PayPal, BillPay. All those are available to you, to you guys to use at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. So very convenient, very hands-on, easy at your convenience to do it to honor the Lord. Here's our building um, fund for this year, the new band equipment. Thank you for those who've already made your pledges before the Lord to be faithful and generous to do it. If you haven't done so already, we want to keep encouraging you. Number one, to pray. Ask God what that amount is for you to give this year. Number two, listen. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is going to say and trust that he's going to bring it. He may give you an amount that you don't have right now, but he's going to say trust because it's going to come. You have all year to to. For God to prove faithful to what he's telling you to do. He's going to provide. And number three, give generously. Be open to what God says. Amen. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4.18. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, that you take care of our needs. And when we put you first, God, and take care of your business, you will take care of our business. I pray that you bless the gift and the giver today. Bless and prosper your people on the job as we are faithful to tithe, faithful to give offerings. I pray, Lord Jesus, that our... Uh, 
that our jobs will increase, promotions and raises, and just the favor of the Lord to be upon us, that people everywhere around us will want the one whom we have. I pray that our lives would be a living sacrifice unto you. I pray that you would use this offering for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Come forward with leaping for joy as you give your best to the Lord, and thank you again for your generosity and for your support. All right, who's ready to love God and people? Make some noise. <laughs> Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of John, chapter 15. Man, I am so glad you guys are here. I was rocked by the first service attendance, and now today this attendance in the second service is amazing. I was literally expecting like half of everybody to be gone today, but I underestimated the Chicago in you. You are a true Chicago in. Whoop, whoop. Man, see, I come from Indiana, the land of cornfields, and we get scared when it gets this cold, okay? And then I lived in the south. If this was happening right now in New Orleans, negative 17, wind chill, it would be a natural disaster. Like, literally, when I was there one time and it snowed, they shut down bridges. And probably a good thing because I had no salt, right? You want people going right off the bridge. But uh, thank you for coming today. I know you didn't come for me. You came for the Lord. Amen. But thank you for honoring God because, uh, and let me just give this a little talk. Unless we have a blizzard like we did last year where it's like 18 inches in one day falling on Sunday, other than that, we're having church. So you can always check on the Facebook if you have any questions. And then a good thing about our ministry is we have two vans, and we will run those doggies to go get anybody who needs to come. If you don't like being out in the cold weather or you have children and you don't want to catch the bus or uh, your transportation is not reliable in weather like this, please let us know two hours before the service. So it would be 11 for the second service and it would be 8 for the first service. Can I get an amen for vans? Amen. Good to have you guys here. We're in a sermon series called Chosen. Last week we talked about loving God. Today we're going to talk about loving people. It's the beginning of the year in the church and it's been our habit since we started the church, my wife and I, to refocus us every January on what the vision, strategy, and goal of the ministry is. And I hope that you're enjoying it. Did anybody enjoy yesterday's message or last week's message? The week before, amen. I hope that you do. If you missed any, go back and check them out online. Okay, if you're with me in John 15, somebody say, I'm there. Okay, let's, uh, I'll look here, John 15, 12. 
looking at this as our series text, going over it every week. And then um, we're going to have some good nuggies today. I think you guys are going to enjoy them. Okay, my command is this, Jesus talking. What is his command? Love each other. Let's say it again. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Thank you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Come on, I am no longer calling you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Look at your neighbor and say, are you God's friend? Come on, you God's friend? I hope you are. Let's keep going. It says, because I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. Verse 16, here's where we get the sermon series from, chosen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you or set you up. Come on, I set you up so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Love each other. Now, those of you who love to study the Bible, you can see what we call is like a theological sandwich. He starts off in this passage right here saying, love each other, and then he gives us all these goodies in between, all right here, and then he ends the passage with saying what? Love each other. See, that's a theological sandwich right there. Jesus was a master communicator. He had an introduction and he had a closing to this uh, a statement that he's giving them and then the meats in the middle. Now, those of you who are with us last week, you remember me talking to you about why the church has a vision. So let me just reiterate this. The church has a vision because Christ set up the church to build it for his kingdom. Jesus said, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So think about gates keeping people out. The devil has a territory here in the world of the people that believe and have a system of belief like his beliefs. And it doesn't mean they just have, you know, 666 on their forehead or worshiping the devil. Those who are in his world, in his system, are those who are selfish, those who are prideful, and those who will not bow their knee to Christ. Now, Jesus says he loves the whole world. He loves lost humanity. All of us at one time were a part of what Satan was calling his dominion, his rulership. But Jesus rescued us from the power of Satan and delivered us into the kingdom of light. So now us, who are the church, are to go back to those gates, pound them down, kick them down with the authority of Jesus Christ, and plunder hell and populate heaven. Take those out of the darkness and bring them into the light. How many want to do that. Amen. Now think about this. Jesus is building one thing right now. Not a hundred things. He's building one thing. His one thing isn't a government. It isn't a company. It's not even a family. The one thing God is building is his church. Now because he is building the church, everything that involves his people, he is involved with. So he loves our families and builds our families with us, but it's for the sake of the church, the big C church that he's building. Not just a building called Metro Praise. The, the church that he is building is not a building, but he's building people all across this world who love him. And in the family, the church is found. On your job, the church is found. In your community, the church is found. So who is going to make the best politicians, non-Christians or Christians? 
Christians, thank you. And Christians are a part of God's church, Big C Church. This place we're meeting is a little C church. We're a part of the big church. So imagine if right now you're looking at a globe and all the buildings just disappeared and all around the globe Christians started to glow like lights and you could see all of that. That's the church all around the world. In China, Christians serving God, church. People in Chicago serving God, church. Now these locations that we meet in, these you know brick and mortar buildings, we call them a church, but the church is not really a building, it's a group of people, okay? So now think about this. The church is being built where the Christian, Christ followers are at for the glory of God. So when I go home to my beautiful wife, I am building Christ's church in our marriage relationship. In the marriage relationship, the church is our goal. Let me just show it to you. Can I show it to you? Can you how many want to see the Bible? Amen. I'm excited. I want to read the Bible today. I want to get right to it. Okay, let's keep reading the Bible. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 5. Turn there quickly. See, sometimes we get it backwards. We think family is before church, but that's not true. Church is before family. Church is before family. So just track with me right here as I show you that church is before family. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and see how Paul uses this example. He says right here, now look at this. Now as Ephesians 5.24, if you're there, say I'm there. If not, say hold up. Okay, you guys are there, or you're looking right up top. Okay, now, and this is the karaoke screen. How many like the karaoke screen you guys like? It's kind of cool. Okay, I try to work it into work it for you, because if you work the word, it will work for you. Okay, now watch this. Now as the church, watch this. Now as the what? Church, and he's talking about the whole entire body of Christ around the world. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. So what comes first, marriage or church? Church, because church is the example we get to how we have a marriage. Hello, what comes first, the church or a company? Church, because the church is the reason why we have companies, why we have economies. It's for the glory of God. God's kingdom is in his church. Okay, now watch. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave herself up for her. And he gives all these great things that we should do for our wives. Now watch this right here. It says, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Amen. And then we are members of his body. And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That goes back to Genesis. We'll look at that in a little bit. Now watch right here. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the Okay, thank you. You guys got it. So this is why we're here today. We're in a building called the church, but more importantly, we are the church. Here's the way to look at it. The building called the church is the organization. The people are the organism. An organization is a dead thing. You, you can't see it breathing and living. An organism is an alive thing. We are the living organism of Christ, the body of Christ, the church, the bride of Christ, and we meet and organize in a building we call the church. Does that make sense? And so now Metro Praise International needs to have a focus, a vision of what we're doing here. And so what is going to be the heart of what we do? We're going to love and love people. And then from that, we're going to do the work of discipleship, making disciples as Jesus commanded us to. Now, if you can just see it quickly, Matthew 28, 18 and onward. That's why we have Connect Mentor Center strategy. Everybody goes, strategy. Now, what is our strategy for? To take over the world, to become billionaires? No, our strategy is Christ's strategy to make disciples. Everybody say disciples. 
thank you, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and onward, Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Hello. Connect, mentor, send. And so we have a goal then. So our strategy is to make disciples. And then our goal is to make a lot of disciples here in Chicago. 100,000 would do, right? That we got to leave about the 8 million for the rest of the churches in the city. We don't want to hog them all. Amen. We don't want people like hating on Metro. Oh, my goodness. They took all the people. No, we left some for you. Amen. City of 9 million in greater Chicago land. We'll just, we'll just cut out a little 100,000 piece pie. That's basically 1 in 10 people in Chicago. We're saying be a disciple of, this, of, of Jesus Christ this way. 50 churches. We're going to give the Catholics and, you know, Walgreens a run for their money. Amen. Put them on every corner. And then watch, 500 around the world because we believe we're going to touch the world through our Bible college students becoming missionaries and those here who want to go out and touch the world as well. Our mission trip for the Philippines is in March. Our main pastor, Bishop Ray, already met with 30 pastors there in Davao City. We're going to be going in March. It's going to be awesome, and you'll get all the feedback from that. Okay, everybody say the church. Thank you. So that's why we're doing this series called Chosen. Now, when you think about Chosen, Jesus says... I chose you, you didn't choose me, okay? So get that in your heart as we think about this. God is the one inviting us to be chosen. I gave the example last week. I'll give it again here. Imagine my uh, daughter, Bethany, she's seven years old. Let's say for her eighth birthday, we're going to have a pony, and we're going to have really good birthday cake. Okay, on the count of three, shout out your favorite birthday cake. One, two, three. Okay, awesome. Mine is Oreo cookie cake. Oreo cookie. Anybody like Oreo cookie cake? Because like most cake is too dry for me, so I love the ice, ice cream cakes. Okay, so let's imagine. I invite all of you guys. I say, hey, man, my daughter's having a birthday party. We're going to have Oreo cookie cream cake, and we're going to have a pony you guys can ride on. That We, we understand this, that if you're going to have the cake and you're going to ride the pony, you're going to have to come to where? The party. You're going to have to come. But then when you come, I choose you to get on the pony to take the cake. It's a part of the blessing of you being there. Now, this is what Christ is talking about. He loves the whole world. Does he love your neighbor? Yes, he does. Does he love the Muslims? Yes, he does. Does he love Hindus? Yes, he does. Does he love people that do a lot of things that the Bible says not to do, even immoral things, bad things? Yes, God even loves his enemies. Remember, when he was being crucified, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in one sense, all of humanity is responsible for crucifying the Lord Jesus because of their betrayal of sin. And in one way, all of us put him there, nailed down his arms, and put him on that cross. And what does he say to all of us? I forgive you. Amen? Now think about this. He invites the whole world to salvation. But does everybody get chosen to be saved? No. Everyone's invited to be saved. But is everybody chosen to have a place in heaven? Is everybody's name written in the Lamb's book of life, reserved, has a chosen seat for them? No, because not everybody's responded. So think of it like this. If you responded with your free will to the invitation I gave to my daughter's birthday party, you now could be chosen. Now, whose initiation was it to originally have you on a horse or eat the cake? It was my choice, right? So I chose to choose you, but you had to make your choice to be chosen. Amen? And so let's not get it confused. God is not a, a, a divine kidnapper. He's not running around the streets with the white van saying, hey, psst, Stephanie, come here and show you some treasures of heaven, and then once you stick your head into the van, he says, angels, get her, and he throws you into the van, shuts the van door, go angels, and then they take you to heaven. Jesus is not a divine kidnapper. That's not what he means when he says, I chose you, 
and you didn't choose me, and you have no choice about it. He's not that creepy guy at the bar, ladies, or at the place where you like to shop or wherever where the guy looks at you go, I chose you, baby. No, no, no. You get a choice in this. You, you don't have to go if you don't want to. But the point when he says, I have chosen you and you have not chosen me, what he's saying in there is I'm the one that set up heaven. I'm the one that set the system of salvation up. I chose to do this. This wasn't your idea. Heaven's not your idea. Salvation's not your idea. It's my idea. And then if you look right here, the beautiful thing about this in that passage is why is he doing all of this, choosing us? It's that he may appoint us to bear fruit. Everybody say, get fruity. Everybody get fresh and fruity, rooty tooty, however that goes. Everybody get fruity. God wants you to bear fruit for his kingdom. And if you look up at the passage above that in John 15, fruit is the thing that the, the vine does with the branch. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Even though he'll prune us from time to time, get the junk out of our life, take attitudes out, take wrong people out, take out the, the, the way that we dream and fantasize if it's not God's way. It's okay to fantasize about winning the lottery, right? You just got to have the right kind of dream, right? You're not going to take it and use it to become the next Donald Trump and pimp people and put a, your name on a building. No, if you're going to win that lottery, you're going to give your tithe, amen? Boom, 10%, here I come. And I'm be like, woo, Amen. Okay, so it's okay. You just got to have God-centered fantasies. You got to have God-centered dreams because God's doing this that you would bear fruit and that your fruit will last. See, because if you won that lottery and you spent it all on this stuff, not for God, it won't last. After you die, your lifetime, you can't take it with you. But if you use your earnings, even on a job, you know, many, most of us are not going to win the lottery. But we use our earnings that we work hard for, we give it to God, we bear fruit. And Nancy was saying, earlier that it would be great to have testimonies about that and we did in the first service uh, a young lady came up she's newly married and she said when me and my husband started off in life we didn't hardly have, have anything we lived with my parents but we started a prayer board and we started putting goals on there and uh, she said you know time went by we forgot about it and as we were moving some stuff around this week we pulled out that board and on that board we wanted to have a car and have our own apartment and for you know his name is Joel to have his college degree and for us to be having a baby and all of those things God is doing. And she testified and said, God is good. You see, because if we're faithful, God will make us fruitful. That's why he's appointing us is to bear fruit. How many are ready to know how versus why? Are you ready to say amen? Okay, now, just like last week when we talked about how we should love God versus why we should love God, I want to talk today about why we should love people versus how we should love people. So it's kind of easy to think about, like, how we're going to love people. You're going to do nice things for them. You're going to help them. As Christians, you're going to preach the gospel to them. But the thing that we need to answer is, why are we going to love people? Why do we care about people? Because if the story of evolution is true, that we're simply molecules in motion, that we've come from the goo through the zoo to you over small changes over time, then there's really no reason to be nice to each other. Just like how bears eat each other, we could eat each other. And sadly, a lot of people live like that, don't they? They only look out 
out for themselves. They call it a dog-eat-dog world. Only the, uh, the, the strongest survive. The weak become meat for the strong. But that is not the Christian mindset. The Christian mindset is we love everybody, all races and cultures. First of all, there's only one race, the human race. Amen. I know we use that term in America like black race, Latino race. But according to the Bible, there's only one race, human race. Now, we all may have different cultures. There may be a Latino culture, African-American, Asian, Filipino, whatever culture, but we're one race. We all bleed red. Amen? Now, think about this. Here is how we know something. Here's why we know something in review, and then I'll apply it to loving God and uh, rather loving people. Okay, so how something works has to do with function. Everybody say function. Thank you. That is knowledge learned and discovered by science. So you guys remember my example from last week. Imagine I'm riding my bike right now, negative 17 windshield. I'm just riding my bike down to Irving Park or, or Diversity right here, and I'm going to Portage Park. Now, if you saw me, uh, you could know how I was riding my bike, right? How many know how a bike works, right? You you. Move the pedals, the pedals move the gears, the gears move the tires, your body balances it, uh, the bike, and then when you turn the wheel in front, it makes you go, right? How many understand that? That's how a bike works. But would you know why I'm riding my bike? Would you know why? No, because why questions are answered differently than how questions. How has to do with function. Why something works has to do with purpose. Everybody say purpose. You see, purpose is knowledge learned and discovered by revelation. So the only way you would know why I am riding my bike is if you asked me. You could study me with microscopes. You could study me through telescopes. You could do all kinds of scientific experiments on me. You would never know why I was riding that bike. You could do science for a million years on me. Think about that, and you would never know why. There could be some options to why I'd be riding the bike. The first option may be I was going into the, you know, into the cabinet to take some Advil, and I accidentally took some of Nancy's pain medication, and now I'm high as a kite, and I think it's time to ride a bike, right? I could be high. I could be out of my mind. I could be like, man, I'm like in Florida right now. It's so nice. And then you could be like, Pastor, come here, come here. And you'd be like, quick, get him, put him inside, you know, and they'd go take me somewhere, right? to get some help. I could be riding my bike because I could be in some crazy like born type movie where somebody carjacked me and then they chased after me and then I'm running down the alleys and backyards and I pick up a bike and I start running away from them and there's a, char a car chasing me. That could be, you wouldn't know why, right? And then, or, or it could just be like, I'm some of these gringos that I've passed on the way to a church here at Portage Park who wear all types of stuff just to go jogging in minus 17 degree weather. Did we not see a jog? And I'm like, dear God, man, go inside. What are you proving out here, you know? And if somebody's like, gringos aren't the only people who do that. Okay, I believe that. There's probably crazy people out there that do it as well. But I always see it's the people look like me, the white people, you know? Just, we will go jogging in negative 17-degree weather. Okay. I'm like, there is export right there. Just go march your little behind right there. Go jog. Save yourself the trouble. But no, they're jogging because they're like, I'm going to prove it. I'm tough. Nobody's going to take me out. No weather's, you know, whatever. It's going to take me out. So here's the point. Why am I riding my bike? Am I just trying to prove something? Am I running away? from somebody chasing me? Am I high on you know, chemicals, whatever? Am I high on drugs? You would not know unless you asked me. And this is how revelation works. Revelation comes from a person. It is revealed. Now think about this when we go to just mankind. See, scientists can discover through science, they can look at it, and you can too now with all the books that we have, how babies are born. You know, how many know how babies are born? 
How many remember health class, right? The sperm goes to the egg. A bunch of stuff happens there. I don't know. And then the baby grows, and then eventually the baby comes out, correct? Something like that. And they have all these scientific terms for the stages that the, the, the little embryo goes through. Now, we can know how a baby's born, but do we know why? We don't. Now, somebody may say, well, Pastor, I got you here. I know why babies are born. It's because people reproduce. It feels good. Okay, why do people reproduce? Oh, it's because the, we have evolved from animals that need to uh, propagate and you know, promote their species. Okay, why are there living species that need to promote themselves? Oh, it's because we evolved from uh, you know, single-celled organisms that used to live in the sea. Okay, why were there single-celled organisms in the sea? Oh, because over time, you know, an asteroid hit our earth and put living things there. Okay, why didn't asteroid? Why, 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 why? You see, what will happen is we'll get back to the very first why. Why is there something rather than nothing. Why is there anything here? And you see, they can't answer that with science. They could do science for a billion years, and they'll never find out the very first why. They won't answer any of those questions, and those were the questions, or rather those foundations that we looked at last week, and I'd like to just review them. Because so many times we get, you know, hung up as Christians by smart people. And we think, oh, man, they're so smart. I'm just a Christian. And I read my Bible and it says God created us. And I don't know what to tell scientists. Well, you tell scientists that the reason why they do science is because of God. Can, listen to this, guys. If you ever meet somebody that says, if you ever meet somebody that says, I, I don't believe in anything you can't prove with science, ask them if they can prove that statement with science. Think about that. I don't believe anything unless it's scientifically proven. Okay, prove that statement. I don't believe anything unless it's scientifically proven. Prove that with science. You can't prove with science why science works. You can't. You just assume that it works and you use it, but you can't prove why it works or how it works in that matter. Are you listening? You see, when we looked at last week, why we should love God, God is the foundation for all things. Look at this scripture, Romans eleven thirty six. for from him, everybody say from him, everybody say through him, everybody say for him, are how many things? All things for from him and through him and for him are all things to him, Jesus, be the glory forever and ever. So why is there existence and creation? Because it comes, it's for him, through, it's from him, for him, and through him. Why is there life, consciousness, and spirituality? For Jesus, from Jesus, and uh, from, from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Why are there morals and values? Why do we care about things today? Because it's from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Where did logic and reason come from? It came from Jesus, it's through Jesus, and it's for Jesus. Why are there natural laws? Because it came from Jesus, through Jesus, and help me here, for Jesus. Why is there science? Because it comes from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Why is math work? Because it comes from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. See that little red dot that I put at this chart says that we flourish. We have a good life as humans when we understand all of these things are from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Now you may say, Pastor, there's people I know that have great lives and they do all of these things. They do science. They're existing. They have morals and values and they don't acknowledge anything from God. You know what we call those people? Fools. Yeah, we call them ignorant. You know why they're ignorant? Because they can't explain why they have those things. They can't explain why they love their children. Okay, here we go, parent. Eat your children, raise your children. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to raise my children. Okay, do you believe in God? No. Well, give me a reason why. 
Give me a reason why. And then you'll just back them all the way. Well, because it's the right thing to do because we need to take care of our own. Why? Because we were evolved. Why? Because we, but, 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 why, why, why? They're left with nothing. They're hanging their thing on empty space. We ground what we do upon God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? And we talked about last week the Trinity, and we're going to talk about it more today. And guess what? I've got charts, and i got a video. We are going to make it so easy, everybody's going to understand. How many are ready to learn today? Because here's what we need to know. Why do we love people? Why do we love people? How do we love people is the nice things that we do for them. So let's say if, if you were, uh, you know, this was a reality TV show and there were cameras here and you were watching what was going on here and you had the camera running 24-7. You could see what happens all throughout the week. You could say, okay, I know how Christians love people. Uh, they worship God together. They help each other. They pray for each other. They encourage each other. They, they teach each other's children's good things. They teach the young people to live for God. They help out people. There's a, a Facebook page that we call the MPI prayer page and Good Samaritan page. We give away stuff. It's always happening underground. Here. There's always people with bags that are giving away at church. And they're, not, they're not doing deals or any drug deals here, but they're giving away bags of goodies. Are you listening? So you, you could say, I, I understand how MPI and the church loves people, but could they tell us why? They couldn't tell us why unless they understood our doctrines and our beliefs. And then they could go, oh, we know why. And here's the answer. Why do Christians love people? Why should you love your neighbor as yourself? Why should you love each other like Jesus said to love each other? The reason is, is because you, my friend, are made in the image of God. That's why we eat animals and love our neighbors. Hello? You can love your animal, but you better not eat your neighbor. Hello? You love your neighbor, you eat animals. Why? Because animals aren't made in the image of God. You don't eat your neighbor because he's made in the image of God. Why don't we lie to each other? Because we don't want to lie to the image of God in you. We don't want to cheat you. Adultery, don't want to break a covenant. Why do we not do these things? Because God made you like him. You represent God. And when I sin against you, I'm sinning against the God who made you. I didn't make you. I'm not your creator. Therefore, I am obligated to treat you the way your creator said you should be treated. And if I don't treat you that way, I will be punished for that. Now, last week we got all, I, I maybe made it more hard, okay, but we got all complicated into the Trinity and all of that. So I went back home and I made charts and graphs for all of us to fit it in all together. Is everybody ready for this? Jerry said last week it reminded her of Bible college, and that was a good thing. Amen? So look at this picture right here. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mankind is man, woman, and child. And you're going to understand that's how we reproduce. That is how mankind functions and flourishes. Yes, children can be plural, but in the sense you have to have one child to begin to have other ch children. So now watch this as you see the triune image here. Now some people, let me just say, say this. Try to compare father, you know, God is a father, and then there are earthly fathers, and then there are children, so that would be the son, and then they're left with the Holy Spirit and a mother, and they go, well, the Holy Spirit must be feminine in our mother then. And there's actually a cult from South Korea called the Mother God Cult, where she believes she's God the mother, and there's God the father, and then there's Jesus, and that's how Jesus was born, because God the mother and God the father got together one lonely old Saturday night, and they made Jesus. That's a cult. 
Mormonism actually believes that too. They believe that, that God, there are God assists. Now that's, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that the father is equivalent to a man father, the son is equivalent to a child, and the spirit is equivalent to a woman. We're not saying that because God is known by the masculine pronouns he in the Bible. So God is a he. But woman comes from man. That's why the woe is there before the man. It's because she is a part of man. man God made Adam in his image, and then man... Um, a woman came from man, and the man and woman together made Adam and Eve. Now, just this is what I want us to do. The black is the scripture, the red are the persons of God, and the white are my explanations. So I wanted to simplify this to see if I could help everybody understand. And if you want to know why I do this, come see me at the end of service or one of our workers. Now, really take my time with this, but literally last, last week, if you don't believe me, check it out online. Some of you were here. I, I spent an hour on this, okay? So by God's grace, we'll just spend a few minutes here. Can I hear an amen? amen. Okay, watch this. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. God the Father said, let us, the Trinity, make mankind in our image. Three persons sharing one nature, the God nature. In our likeness, complex unity, try personal unity. So God the Son created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, the Trinity, he, Jesus, created them, male and female, two persons. God the Son blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, which would be the third person, that third component of mankind, and increase in number. Can everybody see that? Does the chart look nice? Does everybody get that? What is mankind? If, if an alien race were to come down, say it was an alien race way out there that God created, and they happened to find us, and they were talking to us, and they were saying, how did God make you? We would say, God made us male, female, to reproduce with children. That's our human race, right? That's what we would say. And they would say, why were you made that way? Because God is the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. He is three persons in the God race, in the God community, and mankind is mother, father, child in the human human family, in the human race. Everybody with me? Now, thank you. You're not just saying you're with me, so I'll go past the slide, are you? Okay, no. <laughs> you're like, ah, kind of, Pastor, kind of. Partial truth. Now, after this, then we're going to watch the video, and the video is going to be really cool, because the video, the guy explains the Trinity even better. But this is why we were made in the, this is how we were made in the image of God, and why we should love mankind. Now, we just went over that first verse there, that first passage, rather, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Now look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 and 18. Now remember, Genesis 1 and John 1 complement each other. Genesis is the Old Testament story of origins, and then John, the gospel, is the story of Jesus' origin and his relation to creation. That's why I could go back because of John, I could go back into Genesis and clearly see who is the us there when God says, let us. I can clearly see it. In, in, in the Old Testament, Jesus was concealed. In the New Testament, Jesus is revealed, okay? So when we see clearly Jesus' revelation of who God is, we can go back into Genesis and understand God's role in creation. So look at John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the word Jesus was with God the Father. And the word Jesus was God, fully divine like the Father. He, Jesus, was with God the Father in the beginning. And through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. 
So mankind was made in the image of God. So if God is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who is the one that came down and made man then? According to John, who is it? Jesus, because through Jesus was made everything. Do you see that? Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made. Now watch this, verse 4. In him, Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So when dust came alive and was made in the image of God, who was the one breathing? Because life is in who? Jesus, life is in him. He breathed it into us, and mankind was started with Adam, then came Eve out of Adam. Then when Adam and Eve come together, comes child, that, that tri-personal um, unity of mankind representing the tri-personal unity of God. And we'll, we'll look at the differences in just a moment, but I want you to get that. Does everybody see that? The two of you? Well, maybe we're better than we were off last week. How much time do we have left? How many see that God created everything? Okay, as long as you see that, we're fine. No one has ever, now watch this, verse 18. No one has ever seen God the Father, but the one and only Son, Jesus. Now, this is all black here because it says, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Does everybody see that? Now put it together, going back to the Genesis account, and you'll see how mankind represents the plurality of the persons of God. Look at Genesis 1.24. That is why a man or a child will leave his father and mother, those two people. See, now you see the three. The child is a product of the father and mother. Are you guys with me? So the child leaves the father and mother and now is united to his wife, and they become flesh, and they start the process over again, again of procreation, hence the unity of mankind. Does everybody see that? Wow. Half of you? I don't even know. Should I do a survey? How many understand? Okay, let me just summarize it like this, looking again at this cute picture, and then we'll watch a video, okay? And then I'll preach, because this is just the, seriously, just the introduction, because this is why we love people. we got to learn how to love them in just a moment. Just look at it again simply like this. God is three divine persons in one being. Mankind is three kinds of persons in the human race. What makes us different from God is this, and the video will explain this, but I want to let you know I also know what the video knows, okay? So I don't need to just rely upon the video, okay? Here's the difference. God, well, let's start with us. We are one being, a human being, and one person. I am Joe. Nice to meet you. What are you? You know, who are you? I know what you are, right? You're a human being. How many human beings do we have here today? Okay, good. So we have, in our limited three-dimensional world, one person per one being. But God lives outside of matter, space, and time. He has three divine persons, Father, Son, Spirit, sharing the same being of God. The being is what you are. The person is who you are. What am I? A human being. Who am I? I am Joe. What is, what is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? God. Who is God? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Are you guys ready for the video? Okay, now the video is going to explain it to you, and I'll stop it at uh, a certain point. So, brother, can you uh, put it up there for me, please? 
worth explaining the doctrine of the Trinity. There you go. Likewise, you. And we'll I've heard atheists and people who believe in a Unitarian God attack the Trinity as confusing. You want to start it again? Illogical and polytheistic. Okay, they often bring up the idea of God being Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, yet all one being, doesn't seem to make sense. When I was agnostic, the Trinity didn't make much sense to me either. That was until I actually studied the concept of the Trinity and the attributes of God. In research, I saw that the Trinity did make sense, but I also discovered that the existence of a Unitarian God is actually the concept that is illogical. Only a Trinitarian God can account for the unique attributes that make God who he is. First, let me start by saying that the doctrine of the Trinity begins with the belief that the true God is not totally comprehensible. Any God we could fully understand and explain, like a Unitarian God, would be an entity that is no greater than what we are. A Unitarian once told me that God was just a spirit. Well, if God is just a spirit, he would be no greater than the angels since that is all the angels are. Lucifer may have had a chance in the war in heaven if God was just a Unitarian spirit, because God would be on the same level as Lucifer. But God created the angels, so he must be more than just a spirit. So how can we learn who God is? By simply studying his attributes. Every monotheistic religion claims that God is omniscient. Well, if God knows all, then he must be able to see everything. And if God sees everything, then he must be everywhere at once, which would make God omnipresent. Now if God is omnipresent, he would have to be greater than three dimensions, because three-dimensional beings and anything in the third dimension cannot be omnipresent. Therefore, for God to be omnipresent, he must be comprised of more than three spatial dimensions. Now I'm not making this idea up. There are more spatial dimensions than the three we live in. At the end of the 19th century, they discovered the concept of hyperdimensions, which are realms that consist of more spatial dimensions than three. If God is omnipresent, he would have to consist of more than three dimensions and be hyperdimensional. How many dimensions does God consist of? Well, if you're going to take the Bible's word, then he is infinitely dimensional. Isaiah 40:28 says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. So what does God being hyperdimensional have to do with the Trinity? Well, allow me to explain. Hyperdimensions are not going to make sense to our finite minds. However, luckily, we can explain this using the example of taking a cube and trying to translate into a two-dimensional world. Take a look at this cube. Because we understand three dimensions, we understand the spatial parameters of this cube. But if we were to encounter a being living in a two-dimensional world, he wouldn't understand this cube at all. He would look at it and see it as just a square. We could then try to show him that it is actually a cube by turning it to show him another side. But his mind could not comprehend changes made in three-dimensional space. So to him, the change would look like this, the green square disappearing and the red square appearing. The two-dimensional being would then say, hey, that's a different cube. We would say, no, it's still the same cube. He would say, no, that can't be right because I see a different square. And we would say, well, yeah, it's a different square, but it's still part of the same cube. We could then show him all sides of the cube and tell him that all six squares he saw were all one cube. Yet all he would see is six squares disappearing and appearing before him. He would not see the cube rotating from one side to the other, so he would not see the cube in its entirety or be able to imagine the physics and the shape of the cube because it exists in a higher dimension than he does. 
All he could do is trust our word that the six separate squares he saw were actually part of one object called a cube. So is this starting to sound familiar? This is exactly the same way God tries to explain himself to us. Clearly, he is omnipresent, meaning he is hyperdimensional and beyond three dimensions and beyond our spatial understandings. So God is explaining his form to us in hyperdimensional terms, where the physics allow beings to be more than one person. Yet we are still thinking in terms of three-dimensional laws, where all beings must only be one person. But since God is beyond the third dimension, he would have to be greater than it, meaning it would only make sense for him to be more than a Unitarian being, like we are. Now how monumental is this? Well, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have the science of hyperdimensions like we do today. So they came up with the term Trinity to try to explain to the world what God had told us about himself. This is absolutely monumental, because when man makes up a religion, he makes up a God he can understand and make sense of. Only in the Bible do we see a God that is beyond three dimensions and beyond the understanding capacity of humans, a hyperdimensional idea that was unknown to people 2,000 years ago. This is why I came to understand that other monotheistic religions have an illogical view of God. When you actually take the time to evaluate the idea of God, only the God of the Bible makes sense. Amen. Let's give it up for that so dude in the video. Another question. So if now you understand God. God. Well, at least a little bit more about God, right? You understand that God is hyperdimensional. So God is not, as I like to say, God is not limited by matter, space, and time where we can only be one person at one time. This is of another illustration. We'll just cut that out. Okay. So... So God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit sharing one being, yet three separate persons. We have three separate beings and three separate persons all sharing the same human race. That is the similarity. That's, that's as far as it goes, okay? Does everybody get that? You are a human even though she's a human even though she's a woman. And, well, let me point to my wife. You're a human even though you're a woman. And when we make a baby, our baby is a human, right? Now, the baby is not me. I'm not the baby. You're not the baby. So three of us can all sit in the same room and be separate persons. But we all share the same human race, mankind. Do you get that? Now, God, the difference between God and the Trinity is God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yes, there's three separate persons, but they share the same essence, the same being. And so if somebody here today had three persons living in their being, we'd call that crazy, schizophrenic, because we are only limited to the matter, space, and time we're in. And that's why I love the example he showed of that three-dimensional object changing. The two-dimensional person only sees just one color going back and forth. They don't see the dimensions of it, and we don't see the dimensions of God because we're limited by matter, space, and time. But this is the God of the Bible. How do we know? Because he revealed it to us. How many want to read the Bible again? Going back to Matthew chapter 28, therefore go and make disciples and baptize them in the what? Names. Does it say names? No, in the name of who? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the name there just simply means the name of Yahweh, Jehovah, the name of God. There is one God in three persons. Baptize them in the name of God, who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One name. You get that. If there was three gods with three different persons, uh, if, if, if each person had its own being, that would be three gods. Are you with me? Then he would say, baptize them in the name names of the gods or in the names of father he's one person one being he's a god 
Son, he's one person, he's, he's another God. And this Holy Spirit, he's another person and another being, he's a third God. But God is one being, one what? One what? One being and three persons. Now, that is how we have been made in relationship to that with the whole human race, man, woman, and child. And so I hope that now gives you an understanding to why we don't eat each other. That why we don't lie against each other. Why we don't break the commandments. Because we are the human race made in the image of God. And one day God is going to perfect our body like his body. Does anybody ever wonder why Jesus had to rise from the dead? Because if Jesus was a spirit being, why did he need a body? Why, why, are, why are when we die just becoming little ghosts, you know, walking around? No, the idea is you don't see your lost loved ones on this, on this world because their spirit and souls goes to heaven. Anybody that appears as your lost loved one is a demon playing make-believe to trick you into false worship, worshiping that thing, communicating with that thing, okay? Because all beings, souls, either go to heaven or hell until judgment. And the reason why Jesus raised from the dead is so that we get back new bodies. Heaven is a temporary place until we get back bodies. And then at the final judgment, those who don't know God have their bodies cast into hell as everlasting and mortal beings. And we're going to learn about that today, that everybody is immortal. Everybody lives forever now. You don't have an eternal past. You have a moment where you were created, so you're not eternal like God. God has both of his existences going in both directions endlessly, past and future. You have a starting point, though, but your direction moving forward is endless. You're immortal. Okay. Can I hear an amen? And immortally you will live in torment in hell, in the lake of fire, or immortally in the glory of God. How many want to go to heaven, be with God, come to new earth? Amen. Okay. Now that's really easy to understand. Has everybody got that? Now let's learn how to love people. This is the sermon. Are you guys ready for it? Only took 36 minutes. Praise God. You guys are awesome. I'm excited. Here's Jesus talking here, okay? So Matthew 12, 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard Jesus debating with the Jewish leaders of that time. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, this lawyer, this Christian lawyer guy, theologian, asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Does anybody know how many commandments were in the Old Testament? How many, sir? So close, 613. You said 600, and, uh, he said 313, but it's 613. Let's give it up for Shamal. He tried, though. I got to give it up. Some of y'all did not even know. You're like, Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments are a summary, a table of contents of the 613 Jewish laws, mostly all found in the book of Deuteronomy uh, and Leviticus. Okay, now, he comes to Jesus, and he's like, hey, let, let me trick this guy, because there's no answer he can say that's going to be the right one, because somebody's going to love the 520th commandment, and someone else is going to love the 30th commandment. We're gonna get, I'm going to make Jesus look bad, because he's going to have to pick out of 613 the best, and no matter which one he picks, other people are going to not like it. But look at Jesus. I love him. Verse 29, the most important one Jesus answered is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. See, we, how many gods do we have? Three? No, we only have one God, but how many persons is God? Three. So the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's his name. He is our God. He is our Lord. Now look what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. See, he just blows his, their mind right there. He goes, I'm going above the commandments. I'm going to the, to the commandment of love. God is love. He says, these 613 commandments mean nothing if you don't love God with everything. 
And literally, this part right here is in the introduction of the law where it talks about loving God and then not having any idols. But it's really like the, the first commandment of the Ten Commandments is thou shall not have any gods before me. But, but how God started it off by saying that commandment was it's because you love me. You'll put nothing else. You'll make nothing in my image or put nothing else before me. Do you get it? And so now Jesus says, you're, you're, looking, at, you're looking at everything inside the circle called the law, 613 things. I'm looking at the circle that holds those things together. And it's called love. Hello. Do you ever think about your life like that? If I was to say draw a circle and put everything in that circle that's important, you would say my friends, my family. And then I would ask you, what holds that circle together? See, we would say God. And then what is the attribute of God? God is love. That's what First John chapter 4 says. Everybody believe me that that's in the Bible or should I show you that? Okay, God is love. You can read that on your own time then. Okay. The second is this. Now watch this. Because part of those 613 commandments was don't kill anybody. Don't lie. Obey your parents. Don't cheat on your husband or wife. Don't commit adultery. And now he says the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because he now says all of those commands will be in love. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you don't lie to your neighbor. You don't abuse your neighbor. Does anybody here want to be cheated on by somebody they love? So don't cheat on anybody that you love. Hello. Does anybody want to be lied to? Does anybody want someone to do you wrong, beat you up, punch you in the face? So don't do it to anybody else. He says there is no commandment greater than these. So look at Jesus what we would say transcending the law of Moses to the heart of God and why he gave the law. So think of it this way. God gave the law, but the law could never show his full character. His character can only be grasped through love. And that's why we believe in relationship over religion. So if you say, I'm going to do this for God, and I'm going to give my money for God, and I'm going to go to church for God. But you see, if you don't love God in your heart, all you're doing is things, and those things can never give you the true relationship with him. So let's say, like, I don't spend time with my wife, but I cut the grass. I, I mow the lawn. I, I, I shovel the driveway. I do the laundry. But I don't spend time with her, and I keep doing all these things for her. Can I really have a relationship with her? No. If I love her, I'll be with her. Now watch. As we learned through the, uh, in the beginning portion of this uh, message, Jesus said, if you love me and you're my friends, what are you going to do? You'll do what I command. So you will do all of these other things. So there, are, there is a list of things we're, we're, we're going to do and not do for God, but it's not going to be out of the basis of religion trying to win God's approval, like as if God says, I don't love you very much. Why don't you go to church a couple of times? And then you go to church and God goes, I love you this much. And then and he goes, but give me some money in the offering bucket. And you give God some money. He goes, nah, I love you this much. And then it's like a progress bar. And then eventually, bing, God says, I love you with everything. No, no, no. God says, I love you now, even as you're a sinner, even as you're breaking all of my laws. I love you now. And if you love me, I will transform your life and you'll obey me. I love my wife. That's why I obey her. I love her because I obey, I, I obey her because I love her. I didn't obey her first and then try to love her. Does everybody get the difference? I fell madly in love, head over heels with my wife, and then things that she desired became natural to me because love was my motivation. When children truly love their parents, it's a natural motivation for them to obey. When you love your, parent, uh, when you love your kids' parents, love is a natural motivation for you to sacrifice and lay down your life for each other. Now let's look at how we're going to love. How many want to get to that message right now? Okay, two ways we're going to love. So simple. It's not going to take us all afternoon. 
Two things that we're going to do to demonstrate our love for people. They're made in the image of God. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to help them in their times of need. Okay? When you look at Metro Praise International, and we're saying we're loving people, what we mean by that is we're going to be good Samaritans to this city. Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37 gives the story. How many have heard the story of the good Samaritan? Most of us. I'll retell it because no one's raising their hand. Um, but I'm just so retired. How many know that story? Just wave it around. Okay, I'll still tell it. Um, the story of the good Samaritan is really simple. There is a man going from Jericho to, uh, he's on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem, I believe. How, how about we just read it? How many want to read it? Amen, because already I'm messing it up. I got so many things on my mind. Were you going to clap for that? Did I see a little clap? Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I wanted you to clap. Okay, you know what? I know what we need to do here. I know we all need to stand up. Let's stand up, please. Everybody stand up. It's time for us to demonstrate our love for each other. Okay, everybody raise up your hands and shake your fingers around and go, Spirit fingers! Jazz hands, don't fail me now. Now, everybody turn this way and massage somebody's shoulder. Come with me so we can massage shoulders here. Here we go. There you go. Loosen them up a little bit. There you go. Loosen up. It's only church, guys. It's okay to have fun. It's only church. Come on. Okay, everybody raise up your hands, shake out your hands. Go spirit fingers. Jazz hands, don't fail me now. Go the other direction. Massage. You don't believe in massaging? Oh. We got some unbelievers here. Keep it holy. Keep it holy. A few more moments. A few more moments. Okay, you may be seated. See, you did something nice for somebody. Okay. Lord, help me. Where was he going? Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Yeah, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jer Jericho. Did I say that? Okay, it's just late. I'm getting tired. Okay. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, left him half dead. Uh, half dead. That's a bad day. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He went away from him. So to a Levite, and a Levite was another kind of a holy man. He, when he came to that place and saw him, he, he went to the other side. The street said, I don't want anything to do with that. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Jesus is not just picking a Samaritan by accident. Samaritans at this time were a group of people that were considered to be less than. They were mistreated by the Jewish people because they were considered to be like half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-pagan, and they were literally called dogs by the Jewish people. But if you look at this story, Jesus is a Jewish man, and he's telling the story to Jewish people, and the two Jewish leaders, the priest and the Levite, are the bad guys. And who's the good guy? The one they call a dog, the Samaritan. He does what the priest and the Levite didn't for the Jewish man who would normally oppress him. Hello. What is this likened unto? Imagine being in the South during the time of, uh, you know, the racism and the slavery there, and a white man telling the story to other white men about loving your neighbor. And it, he says, there was a white guy. He was going from Georgia to Alabama. And then he got jumped by other white guys, and he was left for dead. And then a white pastor came by, left him there, went to the other side. And then a white politician or police officer went to the other side. And then a black man, a slave, came and help the white man. See? 
Jesus is purposely breaking down their images of racism. The hero is the Samaritan. Hallelujah. Because God is saying love transcends every color and race. When you're more like God, you're more like love. And when you're more like love, you're more like God, no matter what skin color you are. Amen. And that's why we should love each other and teach our children to love all people the same and to, to look at God through, uh, see people through the eyes of God. So a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where that man was. He saw him. He took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him, and the next day he took out, you know, like some money here and gave it to the innkeeper and said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then now Jesus says, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Isn't that powerful? I want to challenge Metro Praise to go and do likewise. Go into the world that you live in and be nice to those who aren't nice. Be lovable to those who are not lovable. Do things for others even if they can't do it back for you. Being kind and being nice doesn't mean being a doormat, but it means saying, I will be like Jesus to you even if you treat me like how they treated Jesus. And remember, they crucified him, right? You're going to say to this world, I'll win, I'll win your respect through love. I'm going to change the world through love. And that's how Jesus told us to do it. And in 1 John 3.16, well, by the way, John 3.16, the gospel of John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he gave. So God the Father loved the world he gave Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now look at this. 1 John 3.16, John wrote four books, okay? John wrote the gospel of John. John wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. That's five books. I can do math, amen? Uh, this is how, now watch this, John wrote this in his first letter. He said, he said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, all right? John 3.16 says God lays down his life for us. And now 1 John 3.16 says since Jesus laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? The good Samaritan had what on the man? He had pity on that man. How can the love of God be in us if we don't show pity? Verse 18, do not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So how should Metro Praise love people? We need to help people in their times of need. We need to find the needs of this world, and we need to fill it, and we need to find the hurts of this world, and we need to heal it. Think about that. Where are the needs in your world that you can meet? Where are the hurts in your world that you can heal? You may not be able to do something for everyone, but you can do something for someone. Just start, just start right where you're at. One of the things we have on Facebook, as I was mentioning, is, is that page dedicated for helping others. Instead of selling things in, in your garage sale, giving it away. Why don't you just start right there? Whatever you have in your closet that you don't want, take some pictures of it, put it on the Facebook page, and says, I'll give it to anybody in need. 
Why don't you start, because let me also say this, needs are not only in poverty or lacking something like I, you know, needs can also be emotional. There's a lot of people who have a lot, who have money, who have homes and educations, but they need a friend. They need companionship. They need somebody to listen to them, you know. There's lonely people in this world that look like they have it all together, and some of us who may not have as much as they have, we're intimidated by them. When we used to go street witnessing at Mardi Gras, you could always see where all, all the SUMers would be. We would be all by the homeless people because I was the easiest guy to preach to while all these people with money are walking by, and we would, we would not be spending time with them. And then one time our professor said, hey, it's easy for you to talk to the homeless guy because he admits he has needs, but for you to talk to the businessman who flew first class to go into the strip joint, it's hard for you to relate because the only way you talk about need is about money need. He said, you need to stop just only reaching the homeless. You need to stop that businessman and reach his heart of need for love, need for acceptance, need for purpose, need for value because they have needs too. They just hide it better. They just put more glitter on it. Hello. So everyone around us has needs. Even Christians have needs. And so in the body of Christ, we need each other's needs. And so I would say, start by going on that Facebook page. Start by joining a life group and saying to the life group leader, what can I offer here to help people in need? Maybe it's the, uh, the marriage group, and they say, well, some married couples, they come to the first service, they get dropped off in the van. If you'll go back and pick them up in your car, that saves them catching the bus and being here late. Could you do that with your car? Maybe there's a coworker on your on your job that, that has a need because they're going through a divorce. You're going to start there. Ask if you can take them out to lunch. Begin to spend time with them. These needs that we're meeting, we're doing it because they're made in the image of God and we're treating them as we would be treated. How many have ever been in need before? How many has ever met your need and it felt good? How many have ever hurt before and someone helped heal you and it felt good? Go and do likewise. The second way that we love people is to preach the gospel to them. Because after we've met people's needs, if they don't have the greatest need of the gospel in their heart met, then they're going to perish forever in hell. Because you can have everything in this world. The Bible literally said in Mark, turn there quickly, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, you can literally have the entire world and still be perishing. And isn't that true for Satan? Remember when Jesus uh, was being tempted by Satan, Satan said to him, if you bow down to me, I will give you the kingdoms of this world. Do you remember that was one of his temptations? Do you know why he could offer Jesus that? Because he was given that by Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve had dominion over the world. When they sinned, they gave dominion to Satan. They gave the keys of the kingdom of this world to Satan. And Satan had it until Jesus went on the cross. And so when Satan was tempting Jesus, he said, Hey, let me give you a way you can get the kingdom without having to die and suffer. Just worship me, right? But now watch this. Satan had the kingdom of this world and he was still perishing. How much more so all the things we try to get to think we're going to save ourselves. Think about that. We think we're going to save ourselves with education. We think we're going to save ourselves by being good people. We think we're going to save ourselves this way. Look what the Bible says. You'll never do it. Verse 34 of Mark 8. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. Notice there's always a difference. Crowd, disciples, crowd, disciples. It's easy to build a crowd. When I give away stuff, I get a lot of people here. We do, we do uh, plays. It's easy to get a crowd, but it's the disciples who really want it. Amen? Jesus would heal people. Crowds would come. Jesus would feed people. Crowds would come. But he says, hey, come on over here, crowd. And disciples, let's see. Let's see what you want here. Let's see who's going to be real about this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. It's not about you anymore. It's about God and his kingdom. Take up their cross and follow me. The cross is a place where you sacrifice. My dad was a businessman, and he said, Joe, 
I've watched you as a pastor grow into ministry. I planted my first church at 22, and my dad was a successful businessman at that time. And he said, I noticed the difference. He said, in, in business, when I don't like a customer, he was a financial planner, when they don't come on time, I can cut them. I can just say, I don't want to be your client anymore. Or they give them a hard time. You know, they read something in the newspaper, and they say, hey, I, I want you to do this. And he goes, hey, I went to school for I think I know what I'm doing. Well, no, do it. Okay, no, sorry, go find another, another uh, financial planner. He said, but in the church, you can't do people like that. And the church, they do you wrong, you still got to love them. They do you wrong, you still got to love them. And, you know, you don't pick and choose who's going to come to your church because he saw me as, as a pastor. And as he retired, he said he didn't retire. He refired and became a pastor, went to school online, and became a pastor at his church. Amen. And he said, this is what I began to realize is that ministry is inconvenience and sacrifice for many times people who don't even want it, who don't appreciate it. You know, th think about that. You're reaching out to somebody. You're trying to help them. We, we, we have this all the time with our vehicles. We're sending out the vehicle. There's a driver driving the vehicle. There's gas in the vehicle. Somebody bought the van, right? And it's going to get the person, and they're not even ready to get picked up. And then they don't even call the person. They went all the way out there to go get them, but they're not even ready. And then they won't even apologize. But then guess what? Guess what? They'll call next week or put something on Facebook. Well, you get a little sassy. That's another discussion. But no, they'll, 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 they'll then call next week. I want to come to church. Now, we do love in truth. Remember, we, we love with actions and we love with truth. That's what John said, love in truth and actions. So there is sometimes a standard you have to put on. But guess what we have to do? We go, go back out there. Go back out and get them. You see, they won't do that for you in the business world. Stop paying your Netflix one month and see if you still got it. Stop paying your, your, your Comcast bill, right? And, I, I, and, and you see with sports, you know, people will, will quit, uh, you know, stop coming to church regularly during certain sports season and all that. And then, you know, then they'll complain, you know, all those pastors do is want the money and all this and that. Go to your Bears game one time without any money. See if they'll let you in. Say you're the biggest Bear fan. Come in there in orange and blue and wear face mask and say, hey, you got my seat for my, you know, I want my seat to watch my favorite team. They'll go, give me the money. You can't even come in the door without the money. Hello, somebody. And they let you come. We let you come to the door all the time. We're not shaking you down for your money. The tithe is a gift you give to God willingly, right? So now look at this. You must deny yourself. You take up your cross. You pay the price. You sacrifice. You do it for people even when they don't appreciate it, and now you follow Jesus. Jesus is our master. Does it always feel good? No. It doesn't always feel good loving people. Sometimes they abuse you. Sometimes they use you. I remember being in the inner city of New Orleans. I would give away uh, entire busloads uh, of food and semi-truck loads of food, and I would watch people, instead of saying thank you, argue over what cereal they got. Oh, I don't, I, I don't want Captain Crunch. I want Lucky Charms. I, I, I'm not happy. And I'm telling you, they would, they, they, they would get upset with us because they didn't get their Captain Crunch. Hello. But Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now look at this. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now watch this. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, you can't trade anything for the soul except the value that Christ put on it. Value is determined by what, something, what somebody will pay for it. So it's like, I'll give you 20 bucks for it. That's probably the value. Let's say your shirt. I'll give you 20 bucks for it. That's the value. Now you say, I'll give you 50 bucks. You've raised the value. That's how gold is traded. Are you guys with me? That's how commodities are traded. Well, I'll give you 100. You know what Jesus said? Jesus looked at you and said, I'll give you my life infinite worth. Jesus looked at you and said, you're worth my life. So if you get the world and you don't have Jesus, you lost. 
you have Lady Gaga stardom, but you don't have Jesus, you lost. You become Albert Einstein, the smartest man, Bill Gates, whatever, richest man, and you don't have Jesus, you lost. Why? Because the value of your soul is what Jesus was willing to pay for it. That's it. Amen. Anything less is damnation. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with holy angels. Do you think we should preach the gospel? Yes, we should. It's very important. We're telling people how much they are worth. They're made in the image of God. In closing here, Rachel, would you come, please? Uh, Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the what? In the, come on, look up here if you can't keep up. In the gospel, I know I'm going fast one more time. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. The very first person who gets saved and the very last person in humanity gets saved is going to get saved the same way, by faith in Jesus. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So check this out, everybody. Remember we were made in the image of God? Sin defiled that image. Now we just have a a bleak shadow of it. Well, when Christ comes into our heart through the gospel, he says, take a look at this. And he shows us the righteousness of himself. He says, this is the glory that I have for you. You're going to have it one day for eternity, but right now it starts in your heart. Before God changes the world on Judgment Day, he changes your heart today on Salvation Day. Salvation Day is the day your heart changes. Judgment Day is the day the world changes. Some people say, why is there evil in the world? Why doesn't God just do away with evil? Because if God would do away with evil, he would have to do away with you, 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 and me. So what did he do? He died on the cross to change us from being evil here so that when he destroys the evil that's in the world, there's people that he has saved that can enjoy the new world. Because if God didn't save us from the evil in us and only destroyed evil, we would all be destroyed. But when he created us, once again, I said this last week, remember, when God created us, he really only had two logical choices. Remember, logic comes from God. It's impossible for God to lie. Watch, logic is from God. God had two real choices. He would create us in his image with free will, And one of the possible outcomes would be evil in the world and would cost him his life to be in a relationship with us. That was one option. Well, if I I create them with free will, they may disobey me. The world may get really awful and ugly, and I'll have to go down and sacrifice for them, pay the highest price, but then I'll have won their heart freely because they chose me as I chose them. They came as I invited them, right? The other option is I make them robots. They no more know themselves than a rock knows itself. And I just program them to worship me. I'll have no evil. I won't have to die. But I'll have nothing called love. Because love is a choice. So when God created us in that garden, in his image, that already proved he was love. He said, I'm making you like me. Now you choose. Do you love me as I love you? And you can see the story of humanity playing out. Adam and Eve, they make the wrong choice, but then they regret it. They run away naked, and God clothes them. And you can almost see all throughout the history of humanity, it's always that same story playing out. 
man sinning, being ashamed, and God coming after them to clothe them in righteousness and to make the wrong right again. And so you see that in Jesus. Jesus is on the cross because he's making wrong right. All the bad that you've ever gone through is what Jesus died for. All the good you've ever gone through is what Jesus made you for. When you experience your greatest day, when you're experiencing that human flourishing, that's what Christ made you for. When you're experiencing the pain of an accident and your ankles are broke like my wife or abuse and somebody hurts you, you're experiencing what Christ died for. It's all because of love. I want you to think about this in closing. Is that you've never met an ordinary person. Everybody is super ordinary. Everybody in this world is in the image of God, special to him. It's a serious thing, C.S. Lewis wrote, to live in a society of possible divine sons and daughters of the God Most High. To remember, look at this, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to one day may be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. You think angels are glorious? Angels are not made in the presence, uh, made, made in the image of God. What do you think it's going to look like when you're glorified on the day when Christ comes back? You will be brighter, more glorious than the angels. The Bible says we will judge the angels. If your neighbor who doesn't love God saw you now, they would fall down and uh, saw you glorified as Christ will do on that day. If they saw you like that now, they would worship you. They would worship you. They would think you were a god. But that's the plan God has for his children to glorify them. The Bible literally says he will shine in them brighter and brighter to the bright noonday sun. They will reflect his glory like the moon reflects the sun. They will shine like the sun, the Bible says. Right? So you're not with ordinary people. When you are around the church, you are around the sons and daughters of light. You are around the sons and daughters of God who will one day be more glorious than any creature that you can ever imagine. That's what C.S. Lewis said. But watch. Or else they will be a horror and a corruption such as now if you were to meet them at all, it would only be in a nightmare. The person who rejects Christ, the man or woman made in God's image who rejects Christ will be more hideous than a demon on the day of judgment. Because a demon was an angel fallen from grace. The Bible gives the illustration of how high you go, then it's how how far your fall is. So if you're 10 feet up on a ladder, you fall down, you fall down 10 feet, right? But the sons of God were exalted. The men and women of God were exalted above angels, made above them. Hello. And so when you fall into damnation, your fall will be worse than them and more disgusting than them. So the sinners that we see now, as beautiful as they may be in their momentary strength of humanity, will be as hideous or worse than anything you can imagine in a horror film or demon. Because they have fallen that far from what God made them to be. All day long, he said, we are in some degree, think about this, all day long we are in some degree helping each other to one of those destinations. The evil that are in men's hearts is pushing other men towards evil in that great fall of damnation. And those that have Christ and His light within them are pushing and inspiring others to that great great day of glory. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. So you should have this in mind in everything you do. I'm around sons and daughters of God who will one day be glorified. I should treat them as such. I'm around sons and daughters of damnation. I should preach to them as such. Love them as Christ loves them before their time of reckoning comes. 
Look at this. This is my favorite part right here. And I'll just stop. Well, no, I won't stop. I'll keep going. But tempted to stop right here. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. Your company, your job, your education, that's all mortal. And their life, their existence to ours is like the life of a gnat. This United States of America will be here and gone before you know it. All empires will fall, all cultures, all civilizations. But it is in mortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. See, what are you today? Are you fulfilling the image of God in you? And are you demonstrating that by loving others as he loved you? Or are you demonstrating the fall of mankind and the horrors that will come? I hope that you choose love. How many want to choose love today? Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. This is that famous passage that we always uh, read at weddings, here at weddings. But let me just read this portion to you. What is love? How does it play out as we're meeting needs, as we're preaching the gospel? How are we doing it? Well, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Can I hear an amen? This is love. You see, that's why adultery is not love. Don't let that person lie to you. Don't let that, that person who's trying to take you away from your husband or your wife lie to you. Adultery is not love. It's self-hatred. Because if you loved your wife as you love yourself, you would never put them through that. Young people, listen to me. Disobedience to your parents is not cool. It's self-hatred and destruction. Every parent, listen to me, abuse to your children and ungodliness. It's not being hip like the Real Housewives of New Jersey or whatever. It's self-hatred and destruction. True love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not, it's not proud. It's like Jesus. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Come on. How many are feeling a little convicted and you know you need some more love in your life today? It keeps no records of wrongs. Come on, married couples or dating couples. Can I hear an amen? No records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. I want everyone to look up at me, please. See, the greatest thing I can do for the homosexual community is tell them the truth. They may say, you know, you know, Steve may, may say to Gary, I love you, and that, that Christian pastor, he hates you because he thinks homosexuality is a sin. No, Steve is lying to you. It's self-hatred. The truth is God made us complementary, male and female, to procreate. That's the image of God. Anything other than that polygamy or same-sex attraction is not the truth of who God made us to be. Resist it. Go against the temptation. We've all been tempted in many ways. Resist the lie. See, this world wants to say, Joe, you don't love Caitlyn Jenner. No, I am the friend of Caitlyn Jenner. Oprah Winfrey's not Caitlyn Jenner's friend. Are you listening to me? They're not their friend. Why? Because that person rejoices in their evil. They're rejo Do you understand? If you rejoice in evil, you're not loving somebody. I'll, I'll, I'll say, because I know that the, the same sex topic is such a hot topic these days. I'll say this something you would all understand. If your friend came to you and said, I murdered somebody, would you rejoice with him? If you're, okay, let's back it up a little bit. If your friend said, I stole from somebody, would you rejoice with them? Back it up a little bit. If your friend said, I lied to somebody, would you rejoice with them? 
If your friend said, I had sex with somebody outside of marriage, would you rejoice with them? If someone had sex with themselves looking at pornography, would you rejoice with them? If someone says, I'm same-sex attracted, do you rejoice with them? No, you pray with them. You say, I am a sinner like you, but now I am saved from my vices. I am saved from the lies. What lie had I believed? That I could have sex with many women and be happy. You know what that got me? Two trips to the clinic. Hello? Crabs and another STI. That's what it got me? Hello? Let's keep it real. What I said was like, Pastor just kept it real. Somebody's like, I don't know if I can look at them right now. Come on. Yeah. What lies have we all believed here? Did you believe the lie that if you gossiped about the person who hated, hated you with your, your mutual friend, you would feel better? Did you ever believe that lie? Did you ever do that? You got hurt by Betty, so you go to Margaret, your mutual friend, and you gossip now. Did you believe that lie of gossip? How about this? Anybody here ever believe the lie of bitterness? They hurt me. I shouldn't forgive them. They don't deserve it. Where did that take your heart? See, what is Bible saying here? Love does not delight in evil. Don't delight in evil with me. Rebuke me. I want to just say this quickly because I have some of my pastor friends want to cheat on their wives and go get remarried with their, with their secretary or so-and-so. And, so. and then they want to say, well, you know what? You should rejoice with me. I found true love. My wife for 16 years with, with my three kids wasn't my true love. I'm not going to rejoice with you. I'm not rejoicing with you. I'm mourning for you. I'm mourning for you. Listen to the Bible in another passage. Godly sorrow brings forth true repentance that needs, leaves no regret. Whenever you truly repent of your sins, you come to God and you mourn. God truly forgives. That's better, my friend. Don't give in to your lust thinking there's freedom. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always has the best interest of your safety in mind. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. I'm not quitting on you. I'm not quitting on you. Love never fails. Why is it that love can never fail? Because true love is in God. God is love. True love is in God. And what God is asking us today, uh, I don't have time to read this here, but let me just say this, what he said up here at the very beginning, what God is asking us today is to be his saying, do you want to love like I love? Be my friend. Be my friend. I want to be a friend of God. Do you want to be a friend of God? Then love the way he loves. Help people in need. Preach the gospel to them. Tell them the truth even if it hurts. I, I'll say this in my fifth closing. I don't know why. It's always the second service. I love you just so much. And I always want to keep this young man's attention before he falls asleep. But take this nap, people, because I'm just so tired. But listen, I caught you. I caught you. But watch. Watch here. I get sassy in second service. I know. It's like, I can't believe Pastor did it. That was kind of funny. But I won't fall asleep because that would be embarrassing for me. But watch. Here it is. Watch. I, I want to love people like God. I want to be a son and daughter of God. I want to be his friend. So what that means is now, I look at people the way I would look at myself. So when I talk to the person with same-sex attraction, I can't judge them and condemn them to hell. I can only see myself in them, right? 
Man, when I was on drugs, that was my stuff, and I was having sex with multiple girls. God loved me. I want to love him. I want to love her, right? When you're at your job and people make fun of you for being a Christian and they don't appreciate what you're doing for them, you're going to be a friend of God, not because they want you to be one, but because you know you they need you to be one. Some people don't know what they need right now. They don't get it. So when I first got saved, my quote-unquote friends left me because I wouldn't do what they were doing. Then the Christian people I used to make fun of, they were my friends. And now years have gone by. And guess what? Those friends in the world are now coming to me for advice. Like the one meme says, first they'll ask you why you're doing it, then after you do it, they'll ask you how to do it. My good friend who I used to deal drugs with who actually got me in the game, he got me in the game. In Fort Wayne, Indiana, there is a game, you know what I'm saying? We're slanging, you know, talking about, come on, keeps it real. It's not you, but somebody you know, you know what I'm saying? Now this is the deal. He got saved. And you know what he did? He confessed to me on the phone. He said, Joe, he was in my wedding. I had somebody from each part of my life, and he was the one from Fort Wayne, Indiana. He was part of my life at that time. Then I had Bible college friend and then church friend from Chicago. Ricky was in my wedding. You remember that? You were, you were my wedding? Yes, you, were, you forgot about my wedding. How could he forget about that glorious day? But you know what? My friend called me up, Brian. You know what he said? He said, Joe, I've been lying to you this whole time. 20 years I've been doing drugs. He was ashamed to admit it to me after I became a Christian. He said, well, I'm going to stop too. And over time, he said, yeah, I stopped doing that. And you know what? And he said, I was selling it, and I was doing it 20 years. And he said, I have watched you. We're both 30. He turned 39 a couple days before me and my birthday on Tuesday. And he said, we, we're, we're almost 40 years old now, and I have thrown away 20 years of my life. And I said, but here's the thing, man. God loves you. And you can start over right now, man. And God promised you that the days ahead of you will be better than the days behind you. That thief on the cross who said, that day I want to believe in you, Jesus, he got to live those last 30 minutes or an hour for Jesus and got to enjoy life more than he enjoyed all the years before him. Can I encourage you today to be a friend of God? Don't believe that friendship in this world is going to satisfy you. The friendship in this world is tied to the world, and it is going to end one day. The friendship of this world will leave you high and dry, and everything that you once thought was valuable will not be here with you. Let me just read it to you, and I'll stop saying the word closing because that's just making me lie. Lord, forgive me for lying to these people. Look at what it says here. Do not love the world. Do not have that desire towards the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. See, you can't have the both. You can't have them both. For everything in the world, and now this is what the love of the world really looks like. He calls it love, but then he defines that kind of wrong definition of love it is. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of your eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but it comes from the world. It comes from that dominion that Satan has had under his control since the fall of Adam and Eve. And it says here, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You're going to live forever. You are an immortal being created for love. Love others now. Amen. Can we stand up and give Jesus a hand clap? Because isn't he awesome? We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Altar workers and band, would you come, please, as we get ready to close out. The love of God is in our hearts today. Amen. And 
His love is what transforms us to be who He's called us to be. Father, I ask right now that you would help us to love you more. Let us all start by being introspective towards our own hearts. Would you look at your own life right now, just in an attitude of prayer, and would you be honest with yourself? Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because until you love God with everything, you can't love your neighbor truly as yourself. So first and foremost, is there anybody here running from God? We're not going to call on you. We're not going to embarrass you. But we're just going to give you a chance to love God right now the way you're supposed to. In your heart, we're going to make time in prayer to do that. Right now, do you need to confess any sins to God? Anything that you've done to break His heart? Anything like Adam and Eve that's caused you to run away from Him instead of running to Him? Would you examine your heart? Those who are already Christians, would you just start to thank God for the cross? Just thank Him. Lord, we thank You for the cross that brought sinners like me back to You. When I ran away in my sin like Adam and Eve, You came looking for me and You you offered me a chance to be clothed in your righteousness to get a glimpse of your character come on a few moments right now let's get real with God Jesus Jesus help us to love you the way you love us. Help us to give it back to you now, Lord. I want to love you, God, the way you love me. Repentance is the most beautiful thing a sinner can hear. If you don't believe me, just, just play a little game with your friend that has a lot of credit card debt or a mortgage. Tell them you won the lottery and you're going to pay off their debt and see how happy they get. That would be a mean joke, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> Don't do that, maybe. Just as an example, though, right? But think about this. God says to you, I will forgive every debt. I will wash away every impurity. What do I have to do, Jesus? Go to church 20 times a day. What do I have to do? Pray the rosary. What do I have to do? Pray to the, the mother of Guadalupe. No, no. Here's how your debt gets clean. Love me. Love me with everything and confess it leave it alone and it is cleansed it is forgiven it is paid in full that's what brought me to him what brought you to God right was it laws was it rules was it the fear of hell what brought me to Christ was that I could be forgiven my debts could be paid now those of us who have searched our hearts about our relationship with God let's search our hearts towards people Ask the Lord if there's any hatred in your heart. These three things the Lord wanted me to ask both congregations. Is there any hatred, bitterness, or unforgiveness towards others? If there is, you cannot love the way Christ called you to love. Not only will it affect the people you have those issues with, it will affect everybody you love. It will affect every relationship. That bitterness will seep in like a cancer and corrupt every relationship. So right now, ask the Lord to not justify what they did or approve of what they did, but ask the Lord to teach you to forgive what they did as He forgave. Say, Lord, teach me to forgive as you forgive. Remember, because that's what He said. He said, love each other as I have loved you. 
Has Jesus forgiven sinners? Yup. So you forgive sinners. Do we still pray for them to get saved? Absolutely. Do we think what they did was okay? No. But what do we do? We forgive like Jesus forgave. Remember, there's still a hell. And the Bible says vengeance belongs to the Lord. They're not getting away with it. They'll either pay for it in hell or let Jesus pay for it on the cross like he paid for your sins. But no matter what, let's get rid of hatred. Let's get rid of bitterness. Unforgiveness. Come on, search your heart. Say, Lord, is there anybody I'm unforgiving towards? Anyone that hurt me really bad and I just I can't let go of it, Lord. Ask him to change you right now. He will. You don't think I have to pray that as a pastor? Come on, you don't know pastors then. We get hurt all the time. I've had to fight bitterness so many times. I know this is for somebody here today. I know this is for people here today. Get your heart clean, saints. Let Lord wash you so you can experience true love. We're examining our heart towards God. Now we're doing it towards others. And then lastly, if you're here today and you just want to love God in three major areas of your life, It's probably going to be your family, your community, and maybe this church or a place like that. I want you to think of three places, three major areas of your life. You want the love of God to flow through you like a river. Right now, just raise up your hands and start asking God for his love to come. And name those areas right now. Come on, pick three major areas. You need God's love. You need more patience. You need to be slow to anger, man. Come on. You need, to, you need to learn to trust in these areas. You need to learn to persevere, uh, hope. What are those three areas you need love in? Love. Love. Some of you young people need to pray for love to flow through your high schools. God is bigger than hatred. God is bigger than violence. Love will change that high school. God's love can transform people's lives. Right now, some of you are standing next to your husband or wife or girlfriend. You need to hold their hand and pray for a fresh river of love to flow through your relationship. Just get that visual of a river, just beautiful, just crystal clear, kind of like Colorado, white cap river, just flowing through your relationship with forgiveness, with hope for the future, with letting go of wrongs, not keeping track of who's wrong anymore. Just think about that. Come on, married couples. Come on people who are in relationships today do you want love to flow through you what about parents grab your child by the hand and say God flow through my family Jesus let my love be your love for my son or daughter today that's what changes our families love we're about ready to close out in prayer As we get ready to dismiss, there's prayer workers up here. If you just want someone to pray with you to help you uh, understand the love of God or receive it or forgive or just any other area in your life, they're up here. And then Rachel's going to sing one of her songs. But before we go, I just want to make sure we're leaving in love, that the loving God and loving people part of our church is not something we just forget about tomorrow. It's going to be our foundation. So as you hear it week after week, you're like, yep, that's what I'm doing, Pastor. That's what I come here to do. And when I leave, I'm the church wherever I go. I'm bringing the gospel. I'm helping people in need. I'm obeying the commands of Christ. I'm a friend of God. Come summertime, I'm a friend of God. I'm helping people. I'm loving like Jesus loved. 20 years from now, we could ask each other, you still loving God and people? Yeah. Don't always do it perfect, but God has perfectly saved me to do it, so I'm going to keep on keeping on. 
I will not quit. I will not quit. Let's have uh, Vanjie, would you pray for us today before we go? so appreciative of what you've done for us, God, how you've loved us so. God, we want to know more of your love because we need your love. Our families need your love. Our coworkers need your love. People on the street that we pass by need your love, Lord. I pray that you'd give us another measure, God, to know and understand. Break our hearts, God the way your heart's broken breaking for the lost break our hearts Lord to expand our hearts to grow to be more in line with how you love Lord encourage all of us God to seek to obey more of your commands because we love you Lord yes amen and we say yes Lord and we'll go with you, Lord, and love more like you, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that touching prayer. Slap your neighbor high five and say, Jesus loves you, and so do I. Come on. God bless you. Have a great week. Marriage Life Group will be meeting in an hour. If you need prayer, come on up. Otherwise, we're going to have Rachel sing as you're dismissed. This is what we call the after party. I found a love Praise God. We love you, Lord. Bless your people.